So I'm really excited to be here talking to Anne. I just adored this book. Have you guys, how many people have read it here? Are we going to spoil any? Okay. So, yeah, a good amount. Um, Anne is an award-winning writer, screenwriter, novelist, poet from Auckland. Um, she's taught creative fiction since 2000, including 10 years at the University of Hawaii. About. About 10 yeah. years, yeah. Mm, yeah. Um, she was selected mm. for the 2014 University of Auckland Residency at the Michael King Writers' Centre and also won the Nigel Cox Unity Books Award the same year. Uh, so this is her fifth novel and was published in September last year by Victoria University Press. Um, and this is just completely delightful. Other people I've spoken to about it have just broken into smiles and um, someone I was just speaking to earlier just said it was completely mad. Um, <laughs> and it was amazing how you'd sustained the madness all the way through the novel and it was just so many moments where it just erupts into hilarity. Um, so the, one of the, you know, the main reasons for this is Janice, who is an incredible character, um, very memorable. And... I recall at another event you said that Janice just fell into your lap one day, fully formed. So could you tell us about mm, how yes. that happened? Um, thank you, Naomi. Thanks, thanks, for this. thanks for coming along, everybody. It's just lovely to be at this festival. It's just the most gorgeous festival, welcoming and warm, and um, I'm just in love with the, this place. Mm. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> yeah, Janice, um, she did fall into my lap one day, which is kind of a, you know, a gift, I guess. I was lucky. Um, quite a few years ago, um, probably 10 years ago. So I spent 10 years thinking about this book. Um, and um, one day I was, uh, when we were in, living in Honolulu, I, um, was, um, I was actually sort of cleaning up in the house and I came across a copy of um, the New York Review of Books, as you do. And I just stopped you know, cleaning and like, just was reading the letters. And there was a letter to the editor of someone who'd had a bad review in the New York Review of Books. And they were writing to complain. But they were writing in a really facetious way and saying, you know, thank you to this reviewer for pointing out my huge shortcomings. And, you know, without this reviewer, I would have gone on and just been a really <laughs> shocking writer and just been, you know, annoying everybody. In the, so I just can't thank you enough. So on and on and on and on. And I'm thinking, like, this is just amazing. And Janice just fell into my lap. So the letter was from a man. And, but, but somehow Janice like, came to me as a, as a woman. And then I just sort of um, stewed about it for, for years. I, it takes me a long time to write a book, and I, my books often overlap. So, um, <clears throat> so I spent quite a few years just thinking, you know, one, one day I'm going to write a book about Janice. And she, she sort of, things kind of stuck to her over that time. And then I had a couple of, like, I was lucky enough to have a couple of fellowships and had, like, big sessions on Janice, mm. so that's how she came into the world. Yeah, mm. I was really interested in what, um, you know, the structure of it is so interesting. It's, it starts with an acknowledgements. The book is in one extended acknowledgements section, which is just such a great way to produce a novel. Um, you know, there's a lot of conceit in the acknowledgements, um, uh, what would you say, canon, you know, everyone's sort of thinking all these people. Um, mm. And I really loved how the gratitude element came through so strongly in the book, you know, that there's quite a lot of... Um, emphasis these days, we must have gratitude, we must be mindful. Um, but, you know, mm. going back to what I was originally going to ask, is how much of Janice's um, affect sort of happened, like, what was the first, the first things that stuck to her and then you sort of added on? Was it the... Um, it, was, it was actually, that, as you say, it was that kind of element that <clears throat> she's saying thank you, but she doesn't really mean yeah. thank you. Yeah. She actually is out to get everybody. She's just, just like, set, everything is like settling a score. Yeah. So she's completely duplicitous, like, in her own mind. So I was kind of interested in that as a, 
like a kind of psychological, you know, state of, of people who are sort of like very kind of deluded about their own actions. So she thinks she's saying thank you, but actually she's not. She's just like, no, I hate this person. I hate this person. <laughs> thank you. So, um, so that, that really interested in me. I think it's in psychological terms, it's called a mismatch, mm -hmm. I, th I think. Not, I don't know anything about psychology, but, but, but you know, we all know people with a little bit of that. I, mean, yeah. I think, you know, it's a, quite a common trait to have a tiny bit of it. So I wanted to write a character that had a lot of that, a big dose of that. Yeah. Mm. I was wondering how many Genesis you've known. Yeah. <laughs> People have asked me that world? all the time. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I think there's a little bit of Janice in all of us. Yeah. Um, but she's just sort of turned up to ten. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, true. Yeah. yeah. Which is, I mean, that's what comedy is, isn't it? It's an element yeah. taken yeah. to the extreme. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, so you mentioned before that uh, Janice is sort of ignorant of what's going on and obviously mm. a strong theme of the book is climate change. Mm. So how much of um, mm. Janice is ignorant of climate oh, of the outside world is linked to our ignorance and yes. misunderstanding of climate change? Yeah, I, I guess I wanted to make a bit of a metaphor along those lines about climate change. And um, so, um, so I hoped that this book would actually have that sort of message in it. But in, in the end, like how, how can a novel do anything towards climate change? So... So writing this novel, I was very aware of the sort of futility of any of us and all our actions about climate change, even though it's the most, you know, terrible thing and we, we all should be sort of out there just sort of protesting, but we don't, we just go on with our lives. So, so for what I wanted the book to actually just try and say something towards that, but also for Janice as a character to be um, um, a sort of a kind of example of our inactivity, mm. you know. I mean, I, I really struggled with this through the book, actually, and I do in my life, like, as, you know, as you know, as someone who's just, you know, I do recycling and stuff like that, and, you know, like everybody, but I don't, none of us do enough. And so um, I kind of struggled with this th thought of, um, you know, as a, as a writer, what can you actually do? What can you do? And, and I think the only thing I can do is write a novel that um, actually is just one little, you know, voice among lots of us mm. about climate change. Does the fridge mm. kind of represent that? She's carrying around this mm. Sisyphean yeah. object of the futility of it all around. Yeah, it. it's yeah. meant to, yeah. Okay. Like this fridge that, that we, you know, we all think we, we need all this stuff and appliances and everything and... Um, and but it, but it's hopeless. It's you know it's a piece of hopelessness, and it doesn't even work. So I hoped that it would work um, on that level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And an albatross. It's sort of her albatross. Yes, it, yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking of. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's a good. Way. Mm. Um, I should have made it white actually, because it, I don't know why it's green, but you know albatrosses are white. Um, so I did. I did think of that um, of the albatross, you know, around the neck that she, and that's a burden for her. Mm. So that our own. I hoped that our our way of life um, can be seen to actually be a burden. And also the fact mm. that it's a retro fridge that doesn't go very well. You know, it's a bit. It's just mm. such a good metaphor for just the ridiculous mm. things we surround ourselves yeah. with. Yeah, and, and we around. we can't um, we can't. Um, Shed ourselves of our lifestyle. I mean, who wants to? I don't. I, don't. I like my. Yeah. I like my comfortable lifestyle. You know. Um, so I hoped it would be about that. 
underneath. Yeah. Mm. Mm, there's so many different layers. It was one of the great things is that everything connects. And, I mean, you can tell it took you 10 years. I mean, it's just so heavily um, um, detailed and connected, patterned, I mm. suppose. Yeah. Right. Mm. Um, Thank you. So how do you... In one interview, you mentioned what else is there to write about other than climate change. So how do mm. we keep mm. going with arts, writing, mm. in the face of the planet being uninhabitable by 2050, possibly? You know, like, what is mm. the, what is the yeah. point of it all, really? Yeah. yeah. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't, <laughs> I mean, I think that's why I wrote this book, because it's, you know, what, what are we going to do? Um, one of the things that I wanted to come out in this book is, in the end, like, who's going to be listening to anybody? That as we sort of bleat on about climate change, there's going to be nobody listening. Mm. And so in the end, that's what happens to Janice, that, her, that there's nobody, nobody there. And she's so turned away by... Mm. So many people. Sorry, yeah, yeah. So she what? I was just, I was just going to say she's turned away by so many people. Yes, yeah. yeah, and in the end is on her own, and and you know, what is going to be the point? So I hoped to get get that idea across too, and it's so true. This is kind of depressing, <laughs> but it's just on we go. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there are. I feel like there's a lot of main characters in the book that aren't people. So there's Wellington, mm. Antarctica, the fridge, Janice. Yeah. Um, could you go into how Wellington, you know, creates the world of the the book and, and all the literary yeah okay Easter eggs with it? Well, I come from Wellington. Like I grew up there. I grew up in Island Bay, um, so sort of looking across at um, at South Island actually. So on a clear day from Island Bay, we'd all get like really excited and go down to the beach and look at the Kaikouras. Mm. Um, so um, so it's actually great to be across here now. Mm. Um, so, so so I love Wellington and. Um, and I wanted to sort of make Wellington a kind of character because, pl you know, place, I guess, is sort of at the heart of what's going on with climate change. You know, it's all to do with our sort of physical living in the world. Um, and, um, and also Wellington is known to be the sort of literary place. And in fact, um, it's not any more literary than Auckland, for instance. There's a lot of literary stuff goes on in Auckland, but in Wellington they just talk about it a lot. Um, <laughs> and... That's true. No, it's actually true statistically. Um, because, you know, Wellington's sort of known as this kind of arts capital. I love Wellington. So I'm, I'm kind of being facetious by saying this. But I adore Wellington and I could, you know, my heart is still there. But they do have this thing of, the, like, the arts. Um, there's so much art goes on in Wellington. But actually, per head of population, just as much goes on in Auckland. But we just don't talk about it. And people talk about people going sailing and, like, you know... Get all that sort of stuff. But, uh, and so, anyway, by the by. <laughs> so, but I thought um, d that it would be a good place to put Janice because there's this sort of concentrated thing of literary, like, sort of markers, I guess. Mm. And so to have her kind of walking around Wellington, encountering them, would, would work well. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, I'm sure a question that everyone wants to know, which is the first thing I immediately wanted to know, is... Who are the well? I don't know if we can. Maybe we shouldn't reveal who are the recognisable characters within. But oh. were the the literary people that you skewered so effectively? Were they a pastiche, or did you have very specific people in oh, mind? Oh no, they're totally a pastiche. Yeah. Like no, nobody is anybody. Yeah, yeah. I would not be interested in doing that yeah. at all ever. I uh, no, every, everyone is a pastiche, and I I never had any particular person in mind writing any of these characters, and. And if I ever sort of thought that, oh, this character is sort of going down a track that possibly could be linked to anybody, I would, I would change it. And I, I think that might have happened once. But, um, 
But I, I'm just not interested in that at all. Mm. This is just fabrication. Yeah. yeah. Okay, great. Because yeah, mm. a couple of reviewers have been like, anyone who knows Wellington literary scene will recognise Dame Bev. And I was like, oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Really? Yeah, one of them was. I yeah. don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Like, oh, I wonder who that well, was. I, I don't. So, yeah, well, they were wrong. There we go. Yeah. Um, so, how and how about Antarctica as a character as well? Um, you've obviously yeah. looked at the art that's come out through that residency. The art. Um, yeah. Well, I, I guess that's to do with the thing that we fly around the planet, and that you know, this this irony that we're interested in the environment, and we kind of like trash it by flying places. So. Um, that's so that's why Antarctica, mm. and also because in, in the news you often read about what's happening in Antarctica, and it seems to be some of the most startling kind of statistics and stories about global warming, about how you know literally New Zealand-sized pieces sort of fall off Antarctica quite regularly, and and all the you know the stories that you read about how it's, this is going to sort of first of all cool the ocean and you know you know all this we've read all read all this so. So that's why Antarctica, because of the, the irony of being interested in the environment and yet, you know, burning an enormous number of fossil fuel by flying down there. Mm. Mm. Yeah. It's also, it's now, the entire continent is an albatross, isn't it? It's, um, we kind of all do haul it around in our hearts, thinking yes. about, you know, polar bears yeah. up north, penguins losing habitat down south, yeah. um, great chunks of ice falling into the see it's it's just it's almost like a tragic yes yeah yeah I think so yeah. I think you're right and I think it is in our psyche living in New Zealand and even though most of us have probably never been I've never been there and I, I actually have no interest in going there but it's but we yeah we're, you're right we're sort of aware of this cold thing mm. down there which is you know the antithesis to the to the north and and I think as you know residents of the southern hemisphere that's kind of in our in our psyche yeah, mm. and not far from here, really. <laughs> not far away. Yeah. No. Um, so you've described having a writer, um, a, a writer as a protagonist in your novel as mm. literary mad cow disease. So you're sort yeah. of eating away at yourself. Yeah. Um, so what was it like writing a novel about your own method of work and having your your job? As yeah, the... and it's interesting. Actually, um, I thought about this a lot recently because in the Auckland Writers Festival, I was on a panel with other people who'd done this, who'd written novels with writer protagonists. And it's meant to be, the, you're not meant to do that. You know, there's this sort of unwritten rule, like never write a novel with a writer protagonist because it's just all too sort of close. Um, but I, I just had to do this. It was just there for me. And, you know, this is the thing where you just have an idea and you have to, f you have to follow it through. So I had no choice. Um, I, I guess it was all at my fingertips, mm. you know, like, I didn't have to do much research because it's just there. I just know it. I live in this world, and it was that. So that side of it was easy, you know. I mean, you, know, you probably all know that. You know, you go to book launches, and you know, you know how people behave, and you, you know. Yeah. So that that part was just easy. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Oh, cool. Mm. Um, are you you said you said you had no choice but to write it. So how does that work? I'm a non-fiction writer, so I don't often get the compulsion to produce mm. a world and a character and a story. But mm. as a fiction writer, it's coming through you and you can't stop it? Like, what's um, that like? Well, it's just a... Yeah. But you probably feel this as a... a pro, you have a project and you just, you you're just going to do this. Down, yeah. And no matter how agonising it is, because I often hate writing, and it's just... A, I often wish I didn't do this and just did something 
I don't know, to just make your life go better, you know. But I, I just, I have to finish it, and it's sort of annoying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Mm. What was it? Everybody feel that about like you Sorry, know you like see you're on. Doesn't everybody understand this? Like yeah. you just do this job, and it, you sort of do it because you kind of love it, and you feel like you're making a difference, and you can actually do it. But some days you just hate it, and you just wish I wish I'd done that career, you know. So that's how I feel about mm. it, and I quite often feel that. And, and now <laughs> having it wrapped up and finished, what are your fe- feelings towards? Yeah, that? that's good. No, that bit's good. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. And I, I'm really grateful to VEP because it is a weird book. Mm. Yeah, what was the mm. editing process like? Was Ashley Young edited yeah. it? Yeah, so how did oh. that go? Oh, fantastic! Mm. Oh, she's just brilliant, Ashley Young, who's just got a book of poetry out actually that I was reading on the plane coming down, called How I Get Ready. She's so brilliant. I I just had a wonderful three weeks with her editing it on a, a sort of a, a micro level mm. um, like she's got a great ear for the sentence but also just little nuances of idea and um, um, I've often had good experiences working with editors actually and this was just f- fantastic um, and on the so we worked together for three weeks sort of you know back and forth and um, not in the same place, all on email. And um, on the last day, when it has, you know, it's going tomorrow, it's going to the printers tomorrow sort of thing, um, I, based off Ashley's, like, really sort of careful, uh, you know, sort of uh, accounting for everything, mm. I changed a crucial little thing. And I, and I think that she kind of led me to that, so I'm really grateful. What was the crucial yeah. little um, it was that Jan- right near the end, Janice, um, this, Janice has had one character um, called Clancy, who's actually, who she actually sort of respects and likes and is a bit like a, a kind of mentor to her. She teaches creative writing. And, and, and right near the end, she has her last sort of interaction with Clancy. And I had had her actually thank her, actually turn to Clancy mm. and say, thank you. And um, and on the, and my last sort of act on this novel was to change that and have her look at Clancy and think and and have doubt and think no no I'm not going to thank her she doesn't even like me mm. but and because that I think that is Janice mm. and so I th- I think I was uh, in the end like really true to Janice to not let her have this moment of um, of redemption um, and because I hoped that this is a sort of analogy for climate change, we, there is no redemption. Right. Mm. So she's true to herself right to the very last word, mm. Mm. really. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Um, so it's a satire, and as the person in the, um, in the audience said to me earlier, you've sustained it so well all the way through. How did you come to write a satire, and how hard was that? Keep yeah. saying being funny all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, the thing is about being funny is I hoped it was funny. Like, how do you know? Being funny, humour is so subjective. Sorry, I need to mm. need a tissue. Um, <clears throat> yeah, being funny is so subjective and so cultural. Mm. And I didn't know if it was gonna anyone else was gonna laugh. Excuse me. Um, <clears throat> so. Um, but, uh, but I love humour, and I um, almost all my favourite books are funny. Um, and so I, kind of, I, I aspire to be funny. You know, I sort of think, I think humour is a really 
raw emotion, a bit like um, like its opposite, like grief or um, despair, or um, it, it sort of comes from here. It's like it sort of erupts, and so I'm really interested in um, in hopefully kind of leading the reader to sort of laugh from here, from the emotions, because I like to do that. Mm. Yeah, and, and a, lot, a lot of my favourite books are funny. Yeah, mm. we just, it did it so well and then contrasted it so amazingly with the tragic events of Janice's life, um, especially the, obviously the, the commune was, you know, really devastating, gut-wrenching, and, mm. I, you know, I had tears throughout that, and... Um, right. You know, I was laughing all the way through, and then suddenly I was like, "Oh my god! Like yeah. th- this is where this has come from." It's like, <gasps> and then started having so much sympathy for Janice, who was a little bit annoying at the beginning, right? O- honestly, <laughs> um, and how like, you built such a lot of depth there, and we suddenly <coughs> understood so much about her. And how how did mm. that come about? Yeah, yeah. Um, that was always there. I mean, I did want Janice to be very damaged, and to so that she her um, her attitude to the world, and also. Uh, the narration to be kind of veneer over Janice's mm. kind of damaged self. Um, and again, I, I, I kind of hoped that that would come across as a, the, the fact that we, we're living a sort of veneer over what's happening, what we're doing to the planet. Mm. Um, but it's kind of interesting about this book that the Me Too thing happened while before this came out and while I was... I forget what stage I was at with it. Um, I, th- I think I was, it was all sort of finished and everything. But Me Too happened. I was actually in Iowa when that happened. And that, that's just been such a profound thing for women to to finally have stories come out about sexual abuse. And I I had I was a victim of, se- of massive sex- sexual abuse as a, an 18-year-old. And I'd never told anyone until Me Too came. And I told somebody. And so, so this partly comes from uh, sort of, you know, experience, but not, not like that, not in that way. But, um, but, I, but me too it sort of made me realise, wow, this is... I didn't have to do too much research into that. Mm. Mm. Who was the first yeah. person you told? It was a friend at Iowa. I, I was lucky enough to have this three-month... Um, um, residency in Iowa mm. in 2017, and um, and we we just it was, there were 35 of us from all around the world. It's the most fantastic thing. I'm so grateful. Creative New Zealand paid for me to go, mm. and um, and you just meet all these writers from all you know all around the planet, and you get really close to them. And um, and I told my friend Audrey from Singapore. Um, there was a bit of an age range, like a lot of people were sort of. It was like twenties, thirties, forties, and then there were a couple. It was about five of us who were a bit older, and we we sort of like a little gang. And um, and I told my friend Audrey one day, mm. yeah, and I'd never told anybody. Um, that's amazing. Mm. And but I, I did think back to that book. I think that's why I could write that. Yeah. Mm. And then Me Too mm. has caused a lot of us to look back at past experiences we've had and see them in a new light. I think um, because you suddenly realise that most other women have had experiences mm. like that. Mm. Um, and was that the same for you as well? Like that was the trigger for you talking about it? it was, um, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, it was. It was just uh, like buried. I'd never told anybody. Mm. Um, yeah. So it's it's been a huge, great movement that's happened. Mm. Yeah. And I hope it keeps its momentum and cha- actually changes 
things that happen from now on for young women. Mm. Mm. Yeah, we can only hope. Mm. Um, so, in terms of the um, gratitude, another reviewer said um, a tale of twisted gratitude, which I thought was a good way to describe it. Um, yeah. mm. So, having to have that endless gratitude for your past experiences is, um, you know, it's almost like today we're obligated to feel grateful for what's come between to shape us. So, how do you feel mm. about? That experience you had when you were eighteen is that does that shape mm. you into a person you are today? Um, How do you? F- I, I I think I was traumatized for about a decade afterwards, and I think I then I sort of recovered. But um, I, I guess it, yes, I guess it shapes you on some level. Yeah, like it, it sort of does a bit of damage. It's very common. Obviously, mm. you know, obviously that's what Me Too is all about. Yeah, that almost all of us have been women have been damaged, and some men have been damaged by. By these experiences, but um, I, I don't know. I just guess mm. I don't know enough about it to know. Is it, is it lasting? I don't know. And I, <clears throat> I guess I'm sort of lucky to have been able to um, to sort of work it through on different levels over the years, even though I didn't talk to anyone about it. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But it wasn't like I, I don't mean to focus on it too much. But yeah. I just I just became. Aware of it because of me too. Mm. That that's sort of how this ended up in the book. Yeah, because mm. the <coughs> cinema run unease is the running joke throughout the novel. That um, you know anyone who studied New Zealand film is really familiar with the. Oh, yeah. vigil. You mentioned Vigil, didn't you, in the beginning? Yeah, I think yeah. There's all those films that make up yeah. that New Zealand yeah. noir. Yeah. Um, yeah. But at the same time, even though she's mocking it, it actually is happening to her, and she's is very much having this mm. dark New Zealand experience. I mean, the commune yeah. was. It's familiar to anyone who's you know read about Centrepoint, and it's it's such yeah, a, a yeah yeah a, um, yeah. And there were lots of those communes. Yeah, yeah. There was such a thing in the seventies. Um, yeah. In fact, in this area was like there were communes everywhere down here. <laughs> no. <funny>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Coming from yeah. Nelson, which is actually um, <laughs> it's kind of a gra- great aim, I think, to have a commune. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, even though a lot of them sort of didn't end up very well. But, I, you know, like, we've, we've just become so sort of fractured. And it's probably not like that down here, but, the, you know, where I live, people don't talk to their neighbours and, and, you know, pe- people are, like, really non-communal. And so I think the aim of a commune is, is fantastic. Um, there's, a, there's a new move among young people now to, for co-housing. I sort of know about this from my daughter. My 23-year-old daughter is kind of interested in this, mm. this whole um, new way of, of living. And it sounds great. So the, so the, you know, the theoretical sort of basis for the communes was, um, was a good one. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it was a, a really great um, satire of, uh, what was it, dialectical materialism? What's that phrase oh, yeah. you used throughout? Dialectical. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it just had this great <laughs> image of people just sitting in bars, like decrying the man... Um, and then just being just as bad as, as the people they were mm. yeah, raging about. I, I really loved yeah. that communist bit. Um, and <coughs> I was also curious about um, your thoughts on the literary scene in terms of who gets anointed as worth it, you know, as a novelist or as a writer, and who mm. are the gatekeepers yeah. and where is the gate, and how do you... Mm. You know, Janice is someone who's written a 49-page book that isn't a book, um, because it doesn't have a spine, <laughs> which is a joke that's just repeated throughout, which is which is great. But um, so it doesn't qualify to receive uh, author fund funding. So mm. yeah, well, and in the New Zealand's 
scene? How do you get from being a want-to-be writer to being a writer? Yeah, I, I don't know. I think there's just a lot of luck involved. Yeah. And, and that's, I think that's why I wanted to make that an issue in the book, that she feels like she hasn't sort of... She's not recognised as she should be, and I think that's probably true of lots of people. Yeah. And some people are recognised when they perhaps shouldn't be. I mean, there's just no rhyme or reason to it, really. Mm. And, and so I just wanted to write about that. You know, yeah, yeah. No, that was very funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and another thing that comes to the novel is um, feeling safe, wanted, and loved is the worst possible condition for a writer. So that was the mm. increasingly sad theme that, that continues throughout. A writer has to have suffered to produce good work. Yeah. Um, another theme that comes through a lot in writing is that you know poor mental health is a prerequisite to creativity or any sort mm. of art. Mm. Yeah. yeah. What are your thoughts on? Yeah. Um, well, that's really interesting because of your your edited book on um, mm. anxiety, Naomi, which is just you know amazing piece of work. Um, yeah. Um, I, I mean, I I wanted Janice to think that and to sort of use this as a as her sort of play that card, you know. Um, but I don't I don't necessarily think it's true, and I probably don't know enough about it to know. I mean, I don't think you have to be. I don't think you have to have, um, you know, suffered sort of trauma to be a writer Mm. at all. But I think you probably do need to be um, sensitive enough to have kind of seen, um, look below the surface, which is uncomfortable. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And Janice is very much an outsider. Um, Mm. And, you know, there's, in most of the, I'm just trying to think of all the different times when she's in a group of people, but with the... She's on the outside, you know, looking in and um, being turned away from the group. And I was wondering how much... I often wondered whether she recognised it or didn't recognise what was happening. Like, what is the level of knowledge that she has of her yeah, status? Yeah, I, I hope that she doesn't have much awareness. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, that was the kind of character I was going for. And that, that she might have the odd moment of awareness. I, I hoped that... I don't know, my hopes for Janice. Um, I was... A, you know, she's really annoying, and but I, I hope that... <laughs> there would be sort of moments where people might understand how she sort of ended up the way she is um, because we're all sort of products of our, you know, of our lives and influences. And so that that's what I was going for. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it, it, mm. um, it did make me think of, um, you know, it actually made me think of being at primary school and, you know, turning someone away because they'd done something. And, and it was just right. um, made yeah. me think of how often we actually do that socially to people and, mm. you know, questioning why we exclude anyone at all. Yes. yes. Okay. So, yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Was, yeah. I think she she's very immature. She is a bit like it. She's still in kind of in primary school. Yeah. In her, yeah. Um, like psychologically. Yeah. Yeah. And what did the Miles character mean for you? The quintessential music um, Kiwi bloke, I think you. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think all the other characters in the book are sort of, te- you know, technically kind of flat characters. That Janice is the only one who's kind of rounded, and the others don't have like Miles doesn't have, sort of you know, um, an, ob- an objective, really, that we care about and, you know, desires and stuff like that. So he doesn't sort of function on the level of a rounded character. So I sort of I w- deliberately did that. I wanted all the other characters not to be, n- not to be kind of central to the plot. Mm. So, so in a way, I set out to make him just like a stock character. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And the power of having it told through the single narration of Janice, is that mm. there's so much humour built around her and ability to see yes. what's yeah. happening. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, so you actually you wrote a big chunk of this when you were a writer-in-residence um, um, at 
the yeah, I wrote, at, I wrote most of it um, at the Michael King Centre, actually, oh, where yeah. I was lucky enough to have a um, residency. Mm. And um, so I wrote the, yeah, most, I wrote sort of a draft or two there. And then I didn't, I thought it was finished, but I, um, I did another draft later at IML. So mm. um, I'm really lucky that I've had these things over the last few years. Yeah, well, yeah. that is something Janice would have loved to have received. Yeah, um, either yeah. of those. <laughs> um, even the two-week one, the two-week summer one. But how? Yeah. Um, <laughs> how does it work going to a? Was it a week? How long was it? A week or six weeks? Um, the at Michael King. Michael King. One? It was six months. Six months. Yes. Oh, six months. It was before they changed it to oh. the small. Yeah, six months. So, but was the it thing is, to write a novel, you know, a novel's long and. It, you know, it takes at least six months. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. what was that like, getting up every day to work on this book, physically um, and mentally? Yeah, it's uh, good and hard. Yeah, it's good. It's just like sort of got in the zone of it and had a sort of a long period of not um, not thinking about other things for a while, wow. which is really great. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And that produces this, you know, it's got such a tight world and everything's connected mm. to everything all the way through. It's like this big, mm. um, you know, stitched tapestry together and, and, and that mm. focus period is really essential to, for producing that? Yes, well for me it is. For a novel, yeah. I, um, looking back, I remember sort of periods of working out the structure because the structure didn't sort of just fall into my lap. No, yeah. You know, Janice did as a character but then working out, like at one point I thought that she would actually have a text. There would be this sort of text by Janice at the end and so it took me a while to sort of work out no, don't need to have that and... Um, and, and, you know, to work out the... It's very non-linear. So it took a while, you know? Yeah. And it, and it sort of required um, some really concentrated work on it that I, I would find it really hard to do that doing, you know, just doing it for an hour in the evening, mm -hmm. whereas some kind of writing you could do like, like that. So for me, writing, writing a novel, actually, I really need to have, have this uninterrupted period mm. um, and to just dwell in it, like dwell in Janice's world and not... Um, not do too much else. Mm. Mm. And yeah. do you write on big pieces of paper or index cards? Or how do you arrange um, the structure of it? Yeah, I do, I do a few things. I, I basically type to write. Like when I'm sort of writing like long sections, I'll type straight into the computer. Um, <clears throat> but I also take um, kind of scribbly notes at the same time. But, not, but I don't sort of write scenes or anything. I just jot down notes and, I, and then I type. So I basically have the, those two things going on at the same time. And I also have this, um, this sort of method that's actually quite useful for anyone who's... I think I, I was really pleased to be told how to do this, to have a, um, a control document. Mm. So that once the thing sort of gets to a certain length, you don't want to have to sort of go, go through, and where was that bit that happened, you know, on page mm. sort of 50 or something like that. So you have this control document. This happens here, this happens here, this happens here. So it's just basically one page. It's like a plan. So eventually I had three things going. I have my control document, have my main text, and then my scribbly notes. Um, so I think, it's, I think it's good to actually have thought through and, and worked out your, your method when you have a, like, it's a big document. Mm. Because otherwise you can waste a bit of time, like, um, sort of losing bits and, and, you know, or not remembering them. And, mm. Mm. So that's... That's good. Well, Janice obviously um, loses a lot of her novel as we go through, <laughs> which is the main, mm. kind of the main <clears throat> gist, isn't it? The main narrative thread is her chucking out bits of yeah. um, 
editing, editing, yeah. I left the edit in the gutter, I think, or something like that. But um, mm. how does that reflect what happened in Janice's life? And yeah, that she doesn't value what she has, really. That, yeah. Mm. She, she's had some good things happen, she doesn't value, she just chucks them out, and like we all do sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, mm. um, yeah it, was quite a, it was a really powerful metaphor, and she ends up, of course, at the end with the one page of The Lost Child. Um, what was your thought process on the the chronology of the events she lost at the time, um, and how that how you ended up with that that last scene? Yeah, I, I guess I wanted to um, her, that that was her greatest pain, and right. that she couldn't face it um, <clears throat> right till the end. And mm, yeah, that, mm. she calls it the, the flooding, does she? What, what's the the word? She it's all very mm. metaphorical. The language she speaks of it as. Um, um, what's the word she, she I can't remember. I can't, sorry, <laughs> sorry, someone may know. Um, yeah, it's right at the end. There's a, a particular word that she uses that is just, you're not even really sure what's happened. You know, she's, mm. yeah, she finds it so difficult to face it. Is that, yeah, you're, you're, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. She, that she, in fact, she never really faces it, I, yeah. I hoped. That it's, it's gone. She can't approach it. Yeah. Mm. And the I mean, that's just a massive unresolved, and yet another unresolved piece of her life and um, the fact that at the beginning Miles talks about the murder and then the end you realise what it was it's just like oh my gosh mm. like mm. Yeah, it really changes your view of Miles ah uh, yes yeah. okay right yeah. Mm. yeah I thought Janet had done something terrible at the beginning and by the end it was like oh uh, Janet sorry Janice yes yeah. no she sort of has done something not very good yeah because she's she's got <laughs> drunk and fallen down the stairs when she's pregnant <laughs> and that's how the yes. baby's lost so that it's not the best thing to do. Yes. Um, <laughs> mm. um, <laughs> and Antarctica, it seemed to me that Antarctica represented <clears throat> that white page. You know, there's that book, The Wide White Page, right? Writers Imagine Antarctica, which yeah, is the right. MP book. Did that, yeah. Was that part of the process um, at all? I, I didn't want to engage too much with what's come out of Antarctica, you yeah. know, the projects that people have done in Antarctica. It, so I didn't, I didn't want it to be about that, yeah. you know. But I just wanted... Um, I, I, some wonderful work has come out of there. Like, um, uh, and I mentioned a few of them actually. Like Anne, Anne Noble was mm. one, for one thing, uh, as the photographer, went to Antarctica and did this absolutely brilliant work. And, and there's been music and poetry. And so there's, it's spawned a lot of amazing creative work in New Zealand. Really but I didn't want Janice to be, because of her personality, to actually be sort of looking at this work in a, you know, in a, um, a sort of appreciative way. It's more that she kind of resents anything anybody else has ever done. You know, that's, that's Janice. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, you mentioned mm. Anne Noble's photograph of the football field in the Antarctic. Yeah, I think Anne, Anne Janice mm. talks very disparagingly about the football goals or something. Right. Down there, yeah. So the icy football, icy football field. Like yeah, yeah. 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 Mm. So it's obviously she's done a bit of research. Yeah. Um, mm. <laughs> so you mentioned earlier that none of the literary characters were... Anyone really, mm, you know, yeah. it was all a Frankenstein of um, yeah. of people. Yeah. But mm. yeah, one, one uh, there's been one specific reviewer who felt that it was a little too pointed, and that you were, um, um, you know, skewering a bit too effectively. And I was wondering about the blowback. Have you had any sort of blowback? Have, have people taken it um, as a satire, or have they felt attacked? Because New Zealand can be very insecure and small-minded. Mm, yeah. and I've uh, there were, I've had one review that was like that. Yeah. That saw it as real yeah yeah but I I kind of expected that might happen yeah mm. so, you and know that's how it is <laughs> yeah and you're yeah. okay with that I mean um yeah it just it's 
I, I mean, I suppose if everybody had seen it that way, I would have thought I'd failed. Right. Because that's just not what it is. But but I've just there's just been one, and most people seem to read it as a novel and not two. And yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so I'm happy that. Mm, it's mm. part of New Zealand cinema about unease is its mm. um, insecure artists, I guess. It's literary scene, do you think? Um, I, don't or know used to be or I don't know if we're any more insecure than anywhere else. I think we're pretty robust, actually. Yeah, and, um, but I, I just happen to be writing about this well because I know it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think we're robust. Good. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, so... I was also wondering how I've just got this huge screeds of text here and there's one little point. Um, talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> um, oh, in terms of the acknowledgement structure, I'd just like to find out a little bit more about why you went with that. Because, oh, yeah. you know, mm. you start writing it and you're like, oh, yeah, acknowledgements. And you're like, oh, hang on, acknowledgements. And you're just mm. all the way through. And I thought it was just such... Yeah. <laughs> it was good, wasn't it? Yeah. Mm. Um, and then, of course, you do have your own acknowledgements at the very end. I know, um, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, how did... Yeah. You, that's a very confident way to write a novel. Like, were you... You know, when, yeah. when, when no, did the certainty come in? No, I definitely wanted to do that. And yeah. that sort of came with the whole thank you thing that isn't yeah. thank you. So that... Um, right from the beginning, that's how it was going to be. Um, so, so I never wavered from that. And I did want it to be that... Um, that the reader sort of thought this was proper acknowledgements, you know, until a certain point. And I did, um, so I sort of made, made a judgment about where I thought that should be, mm. where the reader sort of thinks, ah, this is, this is not really acknowledgements. And, and it might be sort of different for everybody, yeah. but I, there's a point for me where I think this is, uh, hopefully then people realise it's not acknowledgements. Um, actually, I, um, I, I teach screenwriting. Yes, and um, and and it's to do with short film usually, and um, and so I've shown students often mockumentaries, you know that form of mockumentaries, um, and that and there's a pattern with that with those that at somewhere along the, in the first sort of minute or so you're realizing, haha, this is not real, mm. and so I was kind of basing that on the idea of a mockumentary. Yeah, mm. and I've just realised I forgot about the reading. Because I got so excited to talk to you about it. So the reading. We've oh. still got lots of time. So should we have a reading from oh. the book? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want? You yeah. No. Something? Sure. Yeah, no. Sorry, I was meant to come at the beginning, but no, I was just no, no. That's fine. So keen. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. So I'll I'll read. Um, I'm going to read a bit about when um, um, Janice um, uplifts, uplifts the fridge from the apartment that she's just left. So she's just sort of split up with her partner and has left the fridge there. She's staying with her friend Mandy and she's, um, she persuades Mandy that they should go and basically steal the fridge in the apartment mm. and take it back to Mandy's place. So they do this late at night. So I'm going to read that bit. On my second night at Mandy's, a Saturday... I suggested something to her as we ate our vegetarian stir-fry in front of the TV. Mandy liked to watch the news and then reruns of BBC miniseries about self-satisfied middle-class white English couples and their tragic but humorous existential travails. They were up to episode something, but I had a better plan for the Late Late Show. Mandy wasn't too keen, but after my pointing out the ethical rightness of it, she agreed to help. 
One of the things I love about Mandy is that she's open to anything. At around 11, while Mandy crashed around during the dishes, I dialed the 50s apartment on her smartphone. She had more minutes than me. There was no answer. Bingo, I called to Mandy. Really? said Mandy meekly from the doorway, her hands like two starfish in red rubber gloves. Are you joking, I said. I informed Mandy that this was an incredible stroke of luck. We might have gone on night after night, waiting for Miles and Dorothy to be out. I had a routine all practiced in the eventuality of either of them answering the phone to do with wrong numbers, thick accents and random security checks, but none of it was necessary. We'd scored a hole in one. I was the first to emerge from the glass doors of Mandy's flat and to drop like a spider down, down the fire escape in the dark. I could hear Mandy clambering after me, feel her vibrations on the slats. Once on terra firma, I fetched the handcart from the side of the villa. It was a good and robust um, handcart with a sturdy red frame and in tubular steel and firm tyres. I decided the neighbours wouldn't mind if we borrowed it for an hour. We set off jauntily down the street, our journey resounding with the downward thwack of our footsteps and the bouncy rumble of the cart. And so there's a bit where they, they go down the hill, sort of in darkness, past the... It's on Mount Victoria, so they pass the houses and everything. Um, I pulled the cart up the southeast ridge. That's her name for the steps going up to the apartment that she's just moved out of. Um, in the daytime, the steps were a dull pink, but in this light, everything was dead grey. Plus, it was a little chilly. But I was full of beans, twisting up and up, with Mandy following a couple of flights below. When I reached the narrow landing that ran along the back of the building, linking all the apartments on the fourth floor, I waited for Mandy to join me. On the way along the balcony, we did make a bit of a racket with Mandy's blundering footsteps and I suppose me banging the cart into a couple of clothes racks and peg baskets didn't help, but then trust Mandy to trip on a flower pot and go splat. I shushed her wail and groaned inwardly. We were goners. But you know what? Nothing, not a peep. I guess all the Radio New Zealand and art gallery types who lived in the building were down in the trendy bars of Courtney Place, swilling martinis and dissing capitalism, it being Saturday night. The few oldies who'd been residents since before the apartments were fashionable would have turned off their hearing aids hours before. A warm, pleased feeling expanded inside me and I continued on. When I knew we'd reached the very apartment that would have been, should have been, half mine, but for a technicality involving spurious matrimonial laws and a leap year, I stopped and whispered to Mandy that this was it. Mandy flailed, tangling at a doormat with a doormat or something. What? she said loudly. Then at my pukana. Oh. Dropping to one knee, I patted around near the doorstep. I suppressed a yelp as I encountered one of, one of the more ferocious specimens of Miles's OCD collection of miniature cacti, which he had growing in tiny terracotta pots. 
When I had one receptacle grasped securely in my fist, I took aim and walloped a small pane of glass in the back door. At the tinkling noise, Mandy and I froze. But once again, nothing. Three cheers for old deaf people for meandering conversations about dialectical materialism in the clubs of Courtney Place. I reached through the window gingerly to avoid shards of glass and rotated the key in the lock. It opened like a charm. As I stepped into the familiar tiled kitchen, a chill ran up my spine and I hesitated. The flat was quiet as the grave. The high-gloss cupboards gleamed like stainless steel in the moonlight. I felt as if a net had dropped over me, a heaviness, a tightness. I know it's ridiculous, but a sob fought its way up from my chest like a balloon. Part of me wanted to turn around and run back along the balcony, not looking back, and to never set foot in the apartment again, but I'm made of sterner stuff. I had business to do. I shook myself. Janice, don't be such a sook. I beckoned Mandy. Her baleful face, face trembled across the doorstep like a thunderbird. And bring the cart, I hissed, honestly. I opened the fridge and phosphorescence poured out, illuminating the kitchen I knew so well. But I was no longer deterred by sentimental thoughts. I went hell for leather, transferring waxed paper packages and pickle jars to the table. Mandy manoeuvred the cartwheels through the door and began to help in a lacklustre fashion. At one point, I rescued a quarterful bottle of vermouth, of which I knew not the origin, and quaffed a few mouthfuls, just to keep warm, really. Mandy is traditionally a wowser about these things, but lo and behold... She put out her hand for the bottle. We polished it off, standing in the moony atmosphere. She wasn't so bad, Mandy. Isn't so bad. If I depicted her in any way whatsoever in these pages as wet, cautious, and generally lacking in spark, that's not what I intend. Mandy is actually kick-ass in her own way. As we passed the vermouth bottle back and forth in the kitchen we started to giggle. Mandy's face went pig, pink. The sob that had been lurking in my windpipe since we came in was escorted off the premises. When the shelves were empty, I yanked the power cord and the fridge motor grumbled to a stop like a tired animal. We hefted the fridge onto the cart and then Mandy, still giggling, held the back door open while I made a few attempts at wheeling the fridge through. Unfortunately, I took a chunk of doorframe with me on the way out. In the weeks to come, I began to think of the gash inside of my fridge and its corresponding bite in the green paintwork as symbolic of, well, a lot of things. Suffice to say, at this point, I needed to make the most of that gash because it was all I was ever going to get out of the apartment. <laughs> we had a pretty clear run whizzing back along the balcony as most of the neighbours' paraphernalia had been knocked over on the way in. But the southeast ridge was a bit of a challenge. I lowered the fridge, bump, bump, bump down the first flight. Mandy was positioned just underneath in case it toppled. <laughs> but I was glad that didn't happen 
Because to be honest, I don't know if she would have had much of a chance if a five-foot fridge had come chonking down on top of her. I had a letter to Mandy's mother composed in my head. A truer friend there never was. It was mercifully quick. She didn't suffer. <laughs> Luckily, I never needed to write that letter. Another five flights, and we, or four flights, and we were across the courtyard, then bouncing back up Marshbank Street, staunching our laughter because of the late hour. Thank you. <laughs> mm. Well, did that spark any questions for anyone? Any thoughts? Um, well, I, we've got a few minutes left, but one thing I, just as you're reading that, that reminded me is that Janice does stuff we all want to do. You know, she's, um, especially the knocking over the glass shelves and the glass menagerie, oh, yeah. yeah. Right. There's a scene yeah. where she, well, do you want to describe that scene? Yeah. Um, yeah, so she gets a job in a, um, uh, a gift shop called the Glass Menagerie, and she's really being ripped off, actually. She's got a mm. zero-hours contract um, and is being treated appallingly by this woman who runs this place that's full of sort of mostly glass objects. And, um, and one day Janice sort of accidentally on purpose kind of knocks one of the shelves and things fall off, and it just sort of goes from there and she ends up basically wrecking the shop. Um, <laughs> So yeah, no, I think I think she does. She does things that we, we would like to do, but we don't because we have foresight. We can see what the consequences will be. Yes. So Janice doesn't foresee consequences. That's one of her problems. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah she's like the small mm. child inside all of us that is sort of mm. demanding mine. That should mm. have been mine, and um, mm. yeah. wanting to be really self-absorbed. But we've got the you know the social veneer over top that yeah. allows us yeah. not to. But, but she does like she's got a point, and that and like to do with this um, in that scene. Um, it was quite. It was quite a long section of the book, actually, um, where you know she's she's being exploited. Hmm. Mm. Yeah. No. Was, I've always mm. wanted to tip over glass shelves of objects. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah. No mm. questions. Yep. Yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> mm. Well, I'm really interested to know. Did you was there a lot of thought at the title of the book? Ah. Yes. Oh, thank you for asking me that question. Yeah. Yeah. It used to used to have another title for a long time. Uh, it was called Undoing Snow, and I kind of like that title, but I was aware it wasn't sort of catchy and didn't really have a... It was quite abstract, in, in a way, even though maybe you could undo snow. But I did... Um, w when I parted with that title, I actually wrote um, a bit in the book that has Undoing Snow in it, where she's, un like, undoing knitting when she's sort of asleep. So I didn't want to sort of give it away entirely, but I think The Ice Shelf is a better title because it's just more sort of, you can see it. I like titles that you can actually, y you could touch them, you know? And it, it's cold and it's got a thing in it. So, yeah, thanks. Mm, mm, mm. Great. Mm. You said earlier about comedy being very culturally specific, mm. but you've also spent time in Iowa in the writing community there, so I'm just interested how much, how, how much that writing community in the US resembles the writing community Ah, oh, yes. Ah, oh, thank you for that question. Yeah, well, not at all, actually, because it was already sort of done when I went there. And, and also, I do think that uh, I lived in the US for 10 years. I lived in Hawaii. And um, I think the American sense of humour is really different from ours. And I think um, culturally in New Zealand, ours is more and more attuned to British sense of humour. And, you know, uh, when I was sort of first aware of this was when we had moved to Honolulu, and our 
kids were quite of little, and they they showed an episode of um, Father Ted to some American friends, and they <laughs> and. Do, do people know Father Ted? Yeah. Mm. I mean, it's absurd and ridiculous. I love Father Ted. It's probably my my favourite sitcom of all time. So you could probably kind of see I love absurd humour. And mm. so partly some of that's sort of gone into this book. Anyway, so my kids are like, you know, watch this. is so funny. Watch Father Ted. And their American friends are just like, what? Why, why, is, why is this funny? They just didn't, couldn't crack a smile. Wow. And I just thought, this is so amazing, this cultural difference in humour. Um, and I, you know, it's a thing. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So, so I guess it, um, in writing humour, you're always taking a risk that you'll just kind of miss that cultural mark. But I definitely was not writing for an American audience. Mm. Mm. Okay. Anyone yeah. else have another thought? Um, well, in that case, uh, we're talking, Anne and I are talking again mm. tomorrow. If there's anything else you'd um, like to bring up at tomorrow's session, which is at 10 a.m. at Hunter's Wines, I think. Um, and we'll go in a bit more into Anne's career and other writing. But yeah, thanks very much. You've been a appreciative, wonderful, appreciative audience. Thank and you. thanks to Spy Valley for having thanks. us. And thanks for coming, everybody. Yeah. It's lovely. Thanks, Anne. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks. 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 thanks.